Welcome to a special series of the Her Empowered Divorce podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Price, Divorce and Empowerment Coach, who is the point of first contact and the leader of your divorce team, bringing all the professionals together to support you. From attorneys and mediators to financial experts to real estate and mortgage professionals, we'll be exploring how these specialized divorce professionals can support you. Through these conversations, we hope to provide valuable insights and information to empower women to make informed decisions and feel confident as they move forward in the divorce process. As a coach of your team, I'm in your corner, empowering you to be the master of your divorce while feeling confident, capable, and beautiful, stepping into the best chapter of your life. Join me in each of these episodes for practical advice, actionable tips, and insights to prepare you for this challenging time. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Beverly Price with Her Empowered Divorce, and I am so happy to have you here. I am thrilled today to have my guest, Heather Kent, one of my dear friends to talk to us about recovering from trauma of toxic relationships. So in this expert series, Heather is one of the experts that I provide you with to give you a comprehensive guide to help you navigate through the divorce process. Frequently I get asked, what's the difference between a divorce coach and a trauma therapist or a divorce therapist? Well. Heather and I have talked about this, and the way we describe it is the uh, divorce therapist or the trauma therapist looks backward. The divorce coach looks forward. But in addition to that, there are certain specialties that a therapist is trained in. For example, Heather is trained in trauma, PTSD, narcissism, and toxic relationships. So I turn to her for expertise in that area. So whether you are soon to be separated, separated, divorcing, or divorced woman, her information can help. Heather is, I'm going to read these initials and she can tell me what they're for, an MCRP, CCC, Registered Psychotherapist, and Trauma Recovery Specialist. And she's going to talk to us today about toxic relationships. And of course, divorce can get as toxic as anything. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It's always so good to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love being here with you, Beverly. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Absolutely. So first of all, tell us about those little initials after your name. Yeah, I have a master's in psychology and counseling, so counseling psychology specifically. The RP is my designation as registered psychotherapist, and I'm also a Canadian certified counselor. Um, Wow. So so that just means that I can practice across the country um, in any province. So, um, yeah, sort of registered to all all areas of Canada. And you can also help people in the U.S. Oh, absolutely. So we want to make that clear. I know that I frequently get asked by attorneys to refer them to a trauma yeah. therapist. Yeah, I have many clients. Oh, you. 
Yeah, I have many clients in the U.S., in the U.K., a couple in New Zealand and Australia. Um, so from all over, absolutely. Wow, Zoom allows you to do so much these days. It's really been quite liberating and I think answering a lot of people's um, prayers in terms of access to specialists and um, you know people who can really help who may not have been so accessible before. Exactly. So I have some questions for you today because, you know, this is a hot topic with any woman that's uh, been in the middle of it. As we both can attest to. <laughs> yes, we both have that personal experience. What has, um, what would you say the mental health impact has been for the woman you've worked with who are navigating through the divorce process? Yeah, so the divorce process is, and I'm speaking strictly from um, a woman's perspective, and so I, right, and, and it's not to say that that men don't experience frustrating things as well, um, but from the woman's experience, and certainly from the women that I have worked with who are navigating these divorces from toxic and, and most often quite abusive situations, the legal system is not set up to protect or support the survivor or the person who is leaving the abusive situation. Right. In fact, the justice system is another vehicle through which the abusive party or the toxic party can actually use to manipulate and further abuse the survivor. And so going through the divorce process has often been very demoralizing, re-traumatizing, very triggering. Um, of course, it goes without saying very stressful. And so um, having to kind of navigate this, in my opinion, very broken system to try and come out the other side in an empowered way to allow women to move forward in the next chapter of their lives is it's, it's quite messy. Yeah. So do you see, I know you use the word abuse and you use the word toxic. Do you see a difference between those two? Oh, no. Toxic relationships okay. are always abusive. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Although they're pretty much interchangeable. You can't be in a toxic relationship without abuse being present. Otherwise, it wouldn't be toxic. Absolutely. Yeah. How common is domestic abuse in relationships that end in divorce? I would say, now again, I'm not a uh, statistics researcher, but 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. um, because again, there, I mean, a unless there was just some kind of irreconcilable rupture, like one person decides they don't want kids anymore and the other one still does, that that's a different scenario, right? Where... And so like in those cases, maybe that might be 5% of cases, right? But right. the majority of the situations that I have seen have been the results of, you know, breakdown because of abuse, because of some kind of manipulation, coercion, um, power and control dynamics that have been at play. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I think some of the statistics I've seen when you look at the top 10 
reasons for divorce, depending on what source you go to. Yes. That abuse is right up there, generally in the top five. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I mean, other reasons are, of course, you know, finances and things like that. But within the finance kind of umbrella, there's financial abuse. There's abuse. And so, and I think that's really important for people to understand because I think we have this very narrow societal view that abuse is only physical violence. Yeah. And this is absolutely untrue. Yeah. yeah that statement with when somebody expresses concern for the person and their response is, but he hasn't hit me. Oh, yeah. That, he that hasn't hit the, me. He or she hasn't hit me. It can't be abuse. Or someone's explaining all the terrible things that they went through. And then someone who's listening says, but did they hit you? Like, yeah. it's incredibly invalidating and completely based in inera- inaccurate information. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing can be some of the the profiles or personality disorders that you have seen. Yes. Have learned how to not only manipulate the person they're married to, but also manipulate family and friends and community to create this perception perception that this is a fabulous person and therefore what the wife is saying couldn't be true. Oh, and they're crazy and they are, you know, mentally ill and they are X, Y, Z. I had a client, just to provide you a bit of an example, I had a client who was like I was the wrongly diagnosed with a personality disorder and heavily medicated for seven years on antipsychotics, which made which made this poor woman appear crazy, you know. Right. Use that word, but made her very unhinged and erratic and emotionally explosive because her brain chemicals were being thrown out of balance unnecessarily because this man had convinced the doctor that she was mentally unstable and he was a pharmacist. And so he would, of course, know better than any. Wow. And, and in the end, she did not have a personality disorder. She did not require antipsychotics. And this is how they, she, she was manipulated during their birth. That is sad. Yeah. And Uh, things happen all the time. Yeah. Well, what types of abuse do you see most commonly in your patient in psychotherapy? So, I mean, certainly there's a lot of coercive control, a lot of um, sort of... And what is coercive control? So kind of basically trying to underhandedly and very insidiously convince the other person that their sense of reality is untrue and what what their needs and and you know kind of beliefs are are not valid and the way that they see things isn't the right way to see things and so through or, or like convincing them that what they're suggesting is for their own good or for their safety or for their well-being or what have you and so this comes under the form quite often of gaslighting um which is literally setting things up to make the person, you know, question or doubt their own sense of reality. Mm -hmm. 
And so when a person doubts their sense of reality, you know, did that happen? Did I, did I make that up? Was I misunderstanding? Did I mishear that? Like you question yourself constantly. Um, is, is he right? Am I overreacting? Is this not safe? Should I quit my job? Like, you know, and so all of these things sort of very slowly and kind of incrementally happen over time to the point, and I like to use sort of an, a, a lobster in a pot kind of an analogy because I'm from the East Coast, so lobster's <laughs> a big thing. So this course of control and, you know, gaslighting and, and manipulation happens as though you are a lobster placed in cold water. And at the beginning, the water feels fine. Everything's great. Um, you don't really notice that anything's going on. And then the, the burner gets turned on very, on a low heat. And slowly this water is heating up and the lobster, because of how slow things are heating up, isn't necessarily really noticing that something is wrong and something, you know, is awry until quite literally we reach a boiling point in the water and the lobster realizes, oh dear, it's too late. I'm, I'm toast. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is how, um, this type of abuse can take place. Similar to that lobster in the cold water where we very slowly, these things are happening piece by piece and, and it kind of gets turned up as time goes on and our boundaries become eroded. We start to feel like what we're experiencing is normal. We make excuses and rationalize their behavior and their treatment of us. Again, if there's no physical punching in the face happening, we can justify that it's not abuse and that, you know, I need to recheck myself. My needs are important. I'm being unreasonable and asking for too much, all of these types of things. And so I see that very, very often where there is just manipulation and control and this core belief instilled in the survivor that that everything is their fault and that they're wrong and that they're not enough in some way. And um, financial abuse is absolutely huge as well. I see this yeah. very often. I've had um, a couple of women talk to me about the fact that they're, as they look back, their husband had planned all of this for a year or more and oh, yes. had a separate account. One did even set up accounts with his mother oh, yeah. and they have companies that they move finances to mm -hmm. and they are able to set up the situation where all this money is hidden so that now the wife has to pay alimony or spousal support to them. That's exactly right. And I have seen this happen as well. And again, like that sort of goes back to my comment about the, the justice system being so incredibly flawed and allows for these things to happen and for the, the, the men in many cases to kind of be the financial manipulators. And I have, I have dealt with clients who, you know, were disabled, like cannot work, have been disabled for 20 years and their husband who makes like 300,000 plus dollars a year is you know, suddenly on paper, not able to pay child support. Right. And so, 
you know, the, the woman is forced to live with her parents because she can't pay for her life, yet he's making $300,000, has it squirreled away in these other situations that make it look on paper that he's only making, you know, $60,000. So, and, and one of the things I see is that the woman then beats herself up, yeah. um, an intelligent woman, a bright woman, and says, why didn't I see this? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Every woman that I've worked with has some iteration of this statement. I am a smart, intelligent, educated person. How could I let this happen? How could I be so stupid? How, why didn't I see this? Why did I stay so long in my case? Why did I go back? And so, you know, none of it has to do with in how we didn't see it. Because remember, we were the, the, the lobster in the cold water. At the beginning, everything seemed perfectly normal and fine. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, we don't jump into the boiling water and think, oh, great, right? We in, in, immediately recoil and rub it, right? Which is what we would have done had the behavior been present that we saw at the end, at the beginning of the relationship. Right, right. So, um, so is there anything that they can do to spot this as they move forward in their life? So, I mean, in terms of, you know, what to look out for. Absolutely. If you find that, you know, new relationships are fast and furious and you dive right in and it's very intense and they're very into things and they just constantly are bombarding you with compliments and presents and time and wanting to take you away and, you know, professions of love and how you've saved them, but you're on a pedestal. Really? Run, run. As a stuff because this is not how healthy relationships develop, right? These are... If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the goals of these people is quite often to get you hooked and get you sort of physically and emotionally invested very quickly so that you develop this sense of loyalty to them um, so that then they can continue on with their campaign of manipulating and taking advantage of you and they are very strategic about the types of people that they seek out because and i mean i can i think i can speak about the two of us beverly <laughs> being in entirely empathic extremely loyal compassionate understanding supportive wanting to do things to help others these are all beautiful qualities that we would never want to get rid of and they also make us more susceptible to being taken advantage of by manipulative people. That is what we do have to be careful and kind of be on the lookout for these sort of behaviors and signs and self-centeredness when we engage with, with, with new people that we meet because um, we, we have to kind of have a bit more of that protection layer. Right. Yeah. I found that when I looked back on my, as I call it, my track record with marriages and the fact that I went from one to the other to the other very quickly and selected abusive relationships yes. each time. Yes. Yeah. Some of them physically abusive, some of them emotionally and mentally and so forth. 
that one of the things I hadn't done was stop and pause and look at the situation, the X and me. So one of the things I have clients do is do a little evaluation of their marriage, their ex and themselves of both where they are and where they wanted them to be. So what was your ideal? Because I, I think so many of us have this picture of what we think our life is supposed to be like, or what our marriage is supposed to be like. And unless we have that picture, we're not okay. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, even television and, oh, you know, even Disney, you know, there especially is all Disney. of the treatment, especially Disney <laughs> treatment of women. Yes. Make is kind of like that analogy used of the lobster in the water. We have grown up thinking that this knight and shining armor could come to our rescue and we'd be happy as opposed to getting that happiness from within. And that was the painful lesson I had to learn was that nobody on the outside could make me happy. It was only me. Absolutely. And we do, we have this idyllic view based on media brainwashing us from a very early age of what you know happy endings are supposed to look like and and it is all just smoke and mirrors because and even on you know in popular culture like the relationship i love the show friends super love it it's super fun but i hate the ross and rachel relationship i hate it it is toxic it is unhealthy and it is like glorified and ridiculous codependent unhealthy behavior i also I used to watch Sex in the City, the show, um, the original show, and it was a great show. Um, but again, I hated Carrie and Big. And that relationship is glorified and it is incredibly abusive and absolutely disempowering to the woman. And like, I can't, it makes me so sick because these are the things that happen even after the fairy tales. We still yes. have that same fairy tale being you know and what women are supposed to put up with and everything else and so um you know how many times did carrie get abused yet she ends up with it and you know magically it's happy at the end um and it just it's not reality and so i think you're right doing that assessment and kind of like an autopsy almost of the relationship and you know each of the parties in the relationship is such a valuable um exercise because it allows us to kind of unveil, you know, these, um, I don't know, core beliefs that we had that are not serving us and that are not accurate. Exactly. And why was I attracted to people like that? Absolutely. Or why did I fall prey to people like that? Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I do similar work around this too, because, you know, again, that shame and the guilt that we carry and the believe I allowed this to happen. Well, you know, many people go through the same thing. People just don't talk about it. Even those of us who, you know, people who stay married, is it a healthy relationship? Nobody knows because we don't live behind the closed doors. Right. And so it, nobody really knows what's going on other than the image that is being projected outside. 
And so 80% 80 of the marriages from recent research are unhappy. Oh, absolutely. Can you believe that? I can't. 80%. Because again, as women, they stay in it. Historically, women didn't have a choice, right? We have been disempowered historically as property, as something to be handed over, something to be paid for, you know, and, you know, before we became, we had rights as human beings, we were property, right? And so we didn't have options if we were in a, an abusive or toxic or unhappy relationship. There were no options because we didn't have any ability to be self-sustaining or independent. Now that is a very different scenario, thank goodness, although we have a long way to go still. Exactly. But certainly there are options available to to some people, but the financial abuse is still a major player and the man still holds the cards in those situations. And that's really difficult to navigate. And what I've also run into is religious abuse. Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. Me too. Yeah. That, um, that adds a whole nother layer of complexity and, and conflict within the woman. And the shame, right? It really magnifies the shame that she carries. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the hot topics, if you will, is narcissism. Oh, yes. And um, I didn't even realize I had been married to a narcissist until you and I had talked. And, um, but I was asked this question. That word is used so often. Oh, yeah. Are people throwing it around um, in situations where, like in a divorce, you are selfish. You're looking for what you want. So are wives throwing it around too easily versus someone that is actually diagnosed or has, you know, I think it's five of the 10 symptoms. Yeah. So is it is it thrown around too much or is the problem really that big? It's a really good question. And I think I think the answer is yes to both. Um, I think it can be thrown around too casually, shall we say, because we don't necessarily or people don't necessarily understand what NPD is versus you know, a self centered right kind of not nice person and so there is a difference and so like clinically there is a a a vast differentiation could people like so you know we kind of everything's kind of on a spectrum right so autism is on a spectrum and you know all various personalities and and developmental delays are our spectrum right and so narcissism is no different and so we have you know people at the very far mild end who may have some narcissistic traits they're a little bit self-centered. They're a little bit sensitive. Um, they can't receive critical feedback very easily, that kind of thing. Um, that is very different than on the very other extreme end where you have a malignant narcissist who actively seeks out opportunities to per- create suffering in others and gets joy from that suffering. Like wow. that is the other extreme end. And so, you know, in the in between these two extremes, there's a whole lot of other narcissistic kind of incremental things going on. And so clinically, to have like a diagnosis, 
you have to meet specific criteria where, like you said, you know, X, Y, Z um, symptoms are constantly present, right? And right. so the main hallmark feature of a narcissistic personality versus a selfish you-know-what is the lack of empathy, the inability of someone to consider how another person feels or even if that's being made you know they're being made aware of that they don't care it's still not a factor they're going to go ahead and do what they're going to do because for them their needs come first the ends always justify the means and it doesn't matter who gets in the way and and so that is really kind of the hallmark sort of trait like this other people's needs and other people's emotions and other people's anything just don't come into play when they make decisions. It just doesn't matter. And if someone dares threaten to expose them, they will do everything possible to take that person down okay. because they need to protect themselves and protect their image and protect this facade of being a great person that they've created and all of that. And so there, there's lots of things going on. And so to answer your question, yes, I do think that um, people who don't understand what narcissistic personality disorder is do throw that word around too casually. Um, and there is actually a very high prevalence of narcissistic personalities out there because the reality is many of them refuse to acknowledge that they have a problem because again, they're perfect. And so they're not the problem, you're the problem or that's the problem or the job is the problem or, you know, the boss is the problem. Everything and everyone else is the problem that they are the victim. And so they're never going to admit that they have an issue and then go and get diagnosed. And so most people who would qualify as having narcissistic personality disorder aren't formally diagnosed because their egos are too big to get them to go to the, to the clinic in the first place to get an assessment. Right. And then what we're dealing with, to me, a very, very small percentage could even be treated successfully. Absolutely. Is it possible? Yes. Um, however, and at, at the risk of possibly offending some people, I, I just, I, I try to use this as a very good example. Um, let, let's take uh, Putin, for example, the leader of Russia currently. What is the likelihood that Putin would ever admit that he's wrong? What is the likelihood that he would ever admit that he has a problem? More than one, in my opinion, but that he has a problem. What is the likelihood that he is going to go and see someone about that problem? What is the likelihood that he is going to then accept the diagnosis or the, or, you know, of the assessment? And then what is the likelihood that he is going to commit to doing the work in therapy for years to mitigate that problem. Zip. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and so um, when we kind of ask the go through that little checklist, that it, it becomes very evident kind of who who is kind of narcissistic and who isn't and and when they can't admit that they have an issue and they can't do any self-reflection. It's not going to go anywhere. Like there's, there is no helping them because they can't, 
they can't they can't look inwards at all because that's where all the inner insecurities lie. What do you suggest to women that realize they're in one in a narcissistic relationship or an abusive relationship? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, obviously, get out. Um, <laughs> a lot easier said than done. Absolutely, much easier said than done. If it's at all possible, I would absolutely explore what those options might look like because um, otherwise you're kind of destined to continue to be in this toxic, unhealthy, abusive situation for the rest of your life. And you kind of have to, you're going to outlast your partner, hopefully, because only then will you be free, right? And so um, if it's at all possible to think about leaving, or if it's at all possible that you might think that your partner could do some reflective work and work on themselves, you know, that, that, that might be an avenue, but very rarely have I seen that the partner was willing to right. have a problem. And, you know, the, the, the abuse that happens, and I want to caution people who are married in these situations or in, you know, long-term relationships where the toxic person is suggesting that you go to couples therapy. Because what will happen is when you go to couples therapy and that therapist is not well-versed on this situation or on narcissistic personality or on, you know, abusive, coercive relationships, then the abusive person is going to shame you to the therapist and try to get the therapist on side. And then you are further invalidated in your experience. And so it is very dangerous to go to couples therapy with um, an abusive partner. So I would definitely advise against that because it, it's not going to go well. Yep. One of the, I'm a big proponent too of having a safety plan and yes. talking to experts before you do anything. Absolutely. Because, because it could be the very thing you think you should do is the absolute worst. Oh my goodness. So safety planning is number one. And I went through this with one of my clients. We, we, uh, she called it Operation Get Out, and um, it was different phases. And we spent an entire year, like, making sure that she was safely set up in these different kind of phases so that when it came time that she kind of dropped bomb, she would be safe, protected, have somewhere to go, have a safe place to be with a little bit of money to, you know, sustain her in the meantime while the dust of the atomic bomb settled, gotcha. uh, you know, talking to lawyers, getting into therapy, um, you know, looking at where she could go to live, setting that up. Because again, quite often the women do not have the upper hand in finances. And so, um, having to, having somewhere to land a supportive place to land is going to be so important, a place that is safe, a place that, you know, the other person can't get too easily if, if there's a risk of, you know, physical danger. These are all things that you need to very carefully prepare for. Um, and what, like I said, you know, looking at investigating how you might be able to get out, the investigating is the most important thing because you have to get information first and then make an informed decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. When the impact comes down to divorce, in terms of the legal legalities of it, we kind of have two major 
choices other than kind of doing it yourself the very simple and amicable way. And that is mediation versus litigation. And um, it seems to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, that a toxic person would be more interested in litigation to prove their right and to fight than to have the perception of this jointly settled no opposite. no it's i found it to be the opposite they want to go to me yeah they want to go to mediation because they only want one person who they then think that they can gain control over and try and get it done with one person to deal with when you're in litigation you don't have control over the other person's lawyer right and so they want to mediate because they they want it they think that they're going to be able to manipulate the situation of course that's not the case of course that's not what happens and so that in mediation what happens is that the mediator will try to you know suggest reasonable things they are not interested in being reasonable they are not interested in doing you know what's best and least costly and least painful because again for them everything is about winning or losing any interaction is about how they can win or lose the conversation in, in their mind. And so they are not going to offer concessions in mediation. That is not going to happen. And so any reasonable attempt that, you know, and I, I just went through this with someone. So the, they, they had, they each had a lawyer and they did mediation for one part of it. And the mediation was like the mediator actually had to kick the toxic person out of meetings um, on various occasions because of how argumentative and how kind of aggressive and agitated he became when he was shown documentation of things that he said he agreed to the week before, which he then no longer agreed to and said that, that he never said that, he never signed that, he never agreed to that. And she's like, no, actually you did. And then he threatened her. So mediation is 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 never going to work because the toxic party is not interested in being reasonable gotcha okay yeah um a little bit before we started taping i told you that i found an article on toxic divorces mm -hmm. and that um and that the impact of toxic divorces actually lengthens the time span of a divorce to the point that toxic divorces last eight to ten years longer oh yeah than an average divorce yeah so is this kind of the i want to win yeah scenario yeah and so this is the dangers of mediation because so i had a client who left the family home eight years ago nine years ago now i think they had been in mediation for seven years oh. with nothing decided, nothing. Because she, and in this case, it was the woman who was the abusive party. She was dragging her heels on every single thing because she didn't want him to have anything. And so um, any, anytime he tried to get things going again, anytime they tried to meet, and he tried to try to talk about things, you know, and there were kids involved and all of that, she just stonewalled every time. And so seven years went by 
with zero progress on their divorce. Wow. And so absolutely this is what happens and this is the danger of mediation with a toxic partner. You can't. Like they will do everything possible to drag it out, to make your life difficult, to get whatever they can out of it or prevent you from getting what you deserve out of it. And so I've never seen a mediation work in a toxic scenario because you have to have two willing, reasonable parties, right? right? And and that's not what you have in a toxic situation. Wow. And so, yeah, these toxic divorces are just the, I don't know, what, what shall we say, act two of the abusive relationship. Wow. We have covered so much and it has, is so valuable. And I know women out there just are incredibly informed now. So I always like to have my guests give three actionable tips. What would you say to the women in our audience that they should do for themselves when they are in a toxic relationship slash toxic divorce? Absolutely get support, get help, educate yourself, inform yourself, get a therapist, get a divorce coach, get a, a, a divorce attorney, make interview people to make sure that they understand your situation, that they hear you, that they are, you know, um, validating your experience and that they are going to be in your corner. And it is so, so important to have a team of people on your side to be able to help you through the various steps and phases of this process. And so make sure that a lawyer understands narcissism and oh, oh, yes. experience with it and make sure that a therapist is specifically trained in toxic yes. personality. Because I have seen situations where clients have come to me after being in scenarios with lawyers that didn't get it and they got screwed over. And with therapists who didn't understand, who further invalidated them and, and like gave the abuser all of the power, this is so unhelpful. And so it's super important when you are reaching out for support to make sure that you are um, getting the support that you need from the professionals who have training and background experience in in the scenario that you're in. Um, building community is another really important thing because quite often what happens is that we become very, very isolated in these toxic and abusive relationships. And the and that's often very purposeful. It's another abusive tactic that they use. Um, so starting to kind of build your own community again, getting out, maybe signing up for a yoga class or a pottery class or just something that you can do that takes your mind off of the strength mm. of this thing because it is extremely stressful. Um, and again, therapy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of help you through and, and absolutely. Um, and to give you tools and strategies, journaling becomes very important, especially if you are navigating a toxic um, divorce. You want to make sure that you are itemizing everything that happens, everything that they say, every misinformation, every every um, 
kind of invalidating thing that they say about themselves. Anything that that, that happens, you want to document date, time, what happened. Date, and time, why is that? Why do you because of that? Because then it helps. It helps with your clarity on did that really happen? Did he really say that? Right? Because again, they can manipulate you into thinking, oh no, he didn't. Like that, the mediator had it in black and white and said, here, you did say this. I wrote it down, you know? Um, and so that makes it impossible in negotiation for them to use their usual tactics. Um, and so documenting would be something absolutely that I would recommend that you do. Um, and then of course, like I mentioned, information gathering, creating a safety plan, um, and interviewing your support now, you know, your support people, your, the people that you're going to hire to help you and making sure that they understand your situation and, uh, understanding of course, that this is not your fault. You didn't do anything to deserve this and help is available. And, uh, it's just a matter of finding the right help. Absolutely. Oh, Heather, once again, thank you so much. What you have to share is so powerful. How can our listeners find you? Um, well, I certainly, they can pop over to my website. Um, it's just my name. So it's heatherjkent.com. And I actually have two um, books there, bestsellers from Amazon that they can download for free as well, if they would like. Um, so there's links to two of those books. Um, and my email is there as well. And if you also were interested in booking uh, a consultation to meet with me to discuss your situation further, I'd be happy to meet with you. And there's a link to book a consultation with me as well. Um, and all of those things are available as well, as well as my social media links, which you can also find me at. And it's all on my website at heatherjkent.com. Beautiful. Is there anything else you can think of that you'd like to share before we close? The divorce process is very messy and it can feel very lonely and scary and it sometimes can feel like you're not going to survive and you don't know what life could be afterwards. Um, I remember that that's certainly how I felt, but I can certainly with every confidence tell you that there is life after divorce and it is the best part of your life that is waiting. And so I'm so excited for you to navigate this chapter so that you can move on. Oh, beautiful. Heather, thank you so much for being my guest. It's thank you so much for having Always a wonderful experience. Likewise. Um, all of Heather's information will be available in the show notes. You can find them at herempowereddivorce.com on the podcast page or on Apple or Spotify. Join me for the next episode of this series where I'll be diving deeper with another expert professional into topics and professions that are valuable to you. Thank you for joining Heather and I today on this episode and take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Her Empowered Divorce Expert Series. I hope that you found the information we shared to be eye-opening and useful. I'm Beverly Cross and through my divorce and empowerment coaching, I serve as the leader of your divorce team, helping you to build self-esteem, knowledge, and emotional strength, as well as skills in communication, negotiation, and conflict resolution. If this sounds interesting to you, let's talk. Go to HerEmpoweredDivorce.com 
and request a divorce breakthrough session. As you talk with me, you will discover that I can assemble the most effective team and create a custom one-on-one coaching solution just for you. You can find this episode, blog posts, resources, and more at HerEmpowereddivorce.com. Now look for our other Divorce Expert Series episodes coming soon. Take care.